Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. Uh, but this, this is us in Ephesians. We're going to close out chapter 2 today, believe it or not. And so I think last time we were together, I covered like three verses. Today I'm going to cover 10. So uh, we've got a long ways to go today. And so let's be in Ephesians. Let's prepare ourselves. Um, throughout our study in Ephesians, we've been talking about finding our identity. Uh, we've discussed the significance over and over again of looking backwards in order to understand who we are now. In other words, looking back in the history, history of our faith and our personal histories, in order to better understand what it means to know ourselves now in the grace of Jesus Christ. Now, in our therapeutic world uh, that we live in, where everything is psychoanalysis, right? Everything. You can't, you can't go anywhere uh, without someone inviting you to consider um, all of your hurt, all of your, you know, your felt pain. Um, that's the world we live in. And uh, that's, I, I believe that that is the type of world um, that has run out of things to talk about. <laughs> so we just talk about ourselves all the time, right? It's a world that's lost mission. It's a, it's a, a society where there's nothing left of virtue and, and purpose. So we like to sit around and talk about how we feel, okay? That's what we do. And so in our therapeutic world, uh, this looking backwards is also a common thing that is done, right? If any of you have ever met with a therapist or a counselor, you know that that's an important part of analyzing uh, your life and analyzing your identity. And uh, part of this process, you know, requires you kind of unearthing uh, where you came from, how your parents treated you or how you grew up or uh, in order to kind of... Uh, uncover what sort of, whatever traumas you've faced. And a lot of us, I'd have to say, have faced trauma, right? Most of us have faced some form of trauma or, or difficulty. Um, so we look back in the past, and, and what they're trying to do, what, what, what oftentimes we're trying to do, is establish uh, an understanding of yourself in terms of a narrative or a story, right? Okay, and so... so, so in this kind of process of looking back and, and understanding the roots of our issues, uh, there's a couple things that we do. First, um, a lot of times we like to make ourselves the victim of our story. We, 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 we look at our past and we see all of the hurt that we have. And then in our story, we make ourselves a victim, a victim at the hands of family members, a victim at the hands of friends and circumstances, a victim at, at the hands of God even. And so, so we like to see ourselves that way because if we see ourselves that way and we make ourselves the, 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 the victim, it gives us the ability to deflect all of uh, our problems onto others. We don't have to own them that way. And it also keeps us as the protagonist of our story, right? It ensures that we remain the hero of our story, which is the other thing that we often try to do is we try to paint ourselves and see ourselves as, as the hero, of our narrative. We, we're at the very center of it. Then the idea is, in our therapeutic culture, is that we overcome our past problems and we overcome our victimhood through escapism and reinvention. Are you guys following with me on this? So like what we'll do is we'll, we'll, we will create or invent a new identity that we take on that allows us to be the victor. And so in our world today, that means uh, that, that we get permission to do whatever is necessary to make us happy. That's the primary objective in our therapeutic world, is that we would be happy. And so a therapist, uh, most oftentimes, their primary objective is to help you first normalize your pain, okay, so you can deal with it, you can cope with it. And then their job is to make you become the hero and make you happy and, and encourage you to do the things that make you happy. And the problem is, the problem with that approach is, is that so often, uh, in fact, uh, 100% of the time, 
uh, what we think will make us happy in this world won't. It will betray us. Even our escapism or our inventions, our reinventions, they will ultimately betray us and we'll find ourselves just as lost, if not more lost, than we ever were before. It's an ineffective approach because all that, all that approach can ever do is just whitewash the real problems. Today we're going to look at our spiritual past, specifically the spiritual past of the Gentile peoples of the world. We're going to look at history. And so when we talk about Gentile, I had a, a, the guy I'm discipling um, ask me this question just this week. He said, can you explain to me the difference between Jews and Gentiles? I see those terms come up a lot in Scripture. And so the thing that we need to know before we get into our study today is that, that Gentile, the term Gentile, basically is a term that's used to describe any people, group, or person that's not Jewish, okay? Uh, a person of any sort of, of uh, nationality, race, ethnicity, uh, spiritual background that is not Jewish in nature. In the Bible, um, what we discover is that there's actually three types of people groups in Scripture. There are Jews, there are Gentiles, and then in Christ, there's the church. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, okay? And we're going to talk about that a little bit today. But we're going to look at the history of the Gentiles in order to better understand who we are and where we come from and be better positioned to identify ourselves in a way that is godly. And so our question would be, what has God done in our lives to change our identity. Let's pray, and then we'll dig into the text. We've got a long way to go. Are you guys awake? It's a, it's a little hot in here. You guys hot? A little toasty? Um, so if someone can text Guy Bailey and let him know it's a little toasty in here, he'll make it. You feel good? But you're not like in the middle over there. Like Xander, he, he's burning up because he's sitting there in the midst of the crowd. You're, you got the front row seat, and you're catching all the blessing. The, <laughs> The spittle, the spittle alone will, is a refreshment. <laughs> I love the Eric. Eric is one of my best friends, and he makes a point to try to sit in the front row, and it's such a wonderful support. Whenever I see Eric in the front row, I just feel so much more comfortable. Thanks, bro. Thank you. All right, let's pray, and let's get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this time. Uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this people. Um, Lord, that you've brought here today. I, I've met many visitors that are here, uh, friends that have invited them. Lord, I'm so grateful that they're here to, to hear from you. And I pray that, Lord, you would speak to them, that you would speak to every one of us, that you would challenge us in your word, that we'd have a better understanding of who you are. And because we understand who you are, uh, Lord, in turn, I, in turn, I pray that, that we would have a better understanding of who we are or who we're supposed to be. And so, Lord, we're, we're asking for your help today in, in the name of Jesus Christ and the power of your spirit, I pray it. Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and read. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one new man." So making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that, are not, uh, that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's, uh, let's go ahead and start here. We're going to discuss who we were in times past. Who we were in times past. 
most uh, ancient Jews believed that non-Jewish people could never find acceptance in God without circumcision. Okay, now circumcision, as we know, let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Okay, every time the word circumcision comes up, I just got to make sure everybody knows that circumcision refers to the cutting away or the act or the ceremonial act of cutting away of the flesh around a boy's penis. Okay? That's the, that's the last time I'm going to say that word in this sermon. But I just want to make sure everybody knows what a cir- the circumcision is. Circumcision for the Jewish people was the sign of covenant relationship with God. Seems like an odd choice for God to make. But it's, he's God. He does what he does, right? Okay. All right. So circumcision was a sign of covenant relationship with God. A covenant of flesh declaring whether or not someone, someone belonged to God. And so for Jewish men, and by extension their household, circumcision was the sign of their willingness to obey God. It was a requirement for the Jewish people. Okay, And we learn about this. This is established in, in Genesis 17, 11. It says, And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. This is God uh, speaking to Abraham. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man in your generations. He that is born in the house or, or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man, uh, man child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Now, in our letter, Paul uses the circumcision to remind us of who we were in our flesh. He's reminding us of who we were in times past as Gentiles in our flesh. We were people that were unclean. We were cut off. We did not belong to the household of God. We were outside of the covenant. Ephesians 2.11 says this, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Uncircumcision, that term, uh, when a, and a Jew refers to a Gentile as uncircumcised, that would be a derogatory term. Okay, That would be used in a derogatory way to refer to someone who's spiritually dirty, yucky. That, that's a yucky person. They are unclean. And so regardless, you know, we all understand that in the first century uh, that there was a lot of false piety in the Jewish community, right? Uh, there was a lot of religion, a lot of pride as Christ addressed. And despite their pride and, and their, their spiritual haughtiness, they weren't wrong when they referred to Gentiles as dirty and unclean. They weren't wrong. Harsh, perhaps, okay, but not wrong. We were unclean. People of the historic Gentile nations were not circumcised. They worshiped false idols. They did not make the atoning sacrifices in the temple. And they lived a lifestyle that was counter to the laws and the commandments of God. These were people who were fleshly and carnal by their very nature. And based on their works alone, would never, ever, ever have access to God. And this, this is who we were too. You understand? This is what Paul's trying to remind us of, is that that we were unacceptable and we were vile before we found Christ. That's what we were. And the record of Scripture is super clear. It supports this concept through and through. In Job chapter 14, Job bemoans man's inability to make himself clean. Job 14.4 says, Who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. No one can do it. There's nothing you can do to make yourself clean before a holy God. David, King David says, 
that sin was born into our flesh. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Christ knows us all too well. He knows the nature of our flesh. He knows how corrupt we are. And in Mark chapter 7, verse 21, he says, For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wicked, uh, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. We know all of this is in our heart, don't we? All of this. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. And we know that our sin, our sin only produces death. That's the only outcome. Our vile nature can only produce death. Romans 7, 5, Paul says, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So right out the gate, in Ephesians 2, verse 11, right out the gate, Paul is reminding us that our identity was shaped in sin and that our sin puts us on the outside of God's spiritual economy. We existed on the outside. We were not in. We, did, we, we were not partakers. We were unclean. And so here's our first key point. Your natural identity is corrupted and impure to God. Your natural identity, who you are in the flesh, is corrupted and impure to God. That's just true. There's not a single person in this room who has not sinned. And that fact alone makes you impure. It makes you unacceptable in the sight of God. And that's something that you have to grapple with. In your flesh, there is nothing that you can offer God. There is no amount of good works that you can do to earn his favor. There's nothing that you could do to bridge the chasm of sin that you're marked by. There's nothing you can do. It's a hopeless estate. Now, sadly, there is more bad news. There's more. You were also without any association to the social and relational fabric of God. You don't fit in, in your flesh. Verse 12 says this, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise. So when, when Paul wrote this letter to Ephesus, it's important for us to know that he was in prison. It's important for us to know that. Now, why was he in prison? That's what's relevant. He was in prison because he was falsely charged with taking a non-Jewish person inside of the temple in Jerusalem. That's what he was charged with. Taking a non-Jew beyond the specified dividing points within the temple was a big no-no, and it was chargeable. You understand? And so he was arrested for that very, very reason. As the church in Ephesus would read this letter, there's no doubt that they are reminded of the wall that divided God's chosen people, the Jews, from the Gentiles. They would be reminded, just, just the fact that Paul's writing this letter to them from a prison cell for this, the very reason that the Jews would not allow uh, the, the Gentiles into the, the, the holier parts of the temple, that would be a reminder and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, 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 an arrow that points to the direction that says that the Jews were on the inside and that the Gentiles were on the outside. They did not belong. We didn't belong. Not only that, we were outside of his covenant promises. The Gentile people have no binding agreement with God that affords us any rights or access or blessing. So in our flesh, in our flesh as Gentiles, we, we, we have... Not only are we not allowed to participate in the social and religious fabric, but we don't have any sort of promises or agreements with God that would bind us to him in relationship. I mean, I don't know, like depraved, that, that's probably the best word that I can think of. 
The house of Israel, the house of, house of Israel had such promises. They had many promises, many covenants of the Lord. There's the Abrahamic covenant. There's the Davidic covenant. There's multiple covenants that we can find in Scripture that God made with his chosen people. But, but we'll start here with one. In Genesis 28, verse 13, it says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, God of Abraham thy father. He's, he's speaking to Jacob here. And the God of Isaac, and, and land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. For I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. And so what we have here is God extending to Jacob a covenant that he made with Abraham. And so he's establishing the terms of the, the agreement. He's setting up the con contractual boundaries for which he's establishing with, establishing with the nation of Israel. And it comes with all these promises. Now look at how Jacob responds in verse 20. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I, that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all, thou, uh, all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. And so Jacob reciprocates, and they enter into this binding agreement. He vows a vow, and now the nation of Israel that will come from the loins of Jacob is in, is in eternal agreement with God. They've got something, and they've got something that the Gentiles did not have. God had made a contractual agreement with Abraham and Jacob that was binding, and they have had that agreement for thousands of years now. Now I want to say this. Without a promise from God, there is nothing in this life worth anticipating. Without a promise from God, without knowing that he sees us and he wants to engage with us, and he wants to build something with us. Without terms of relationship, there is nothing in this life worth looking forward to. Nothing that transcends the monotony of everyday life. So the best thing you have is what the world has to offer you. And so what you do is you make agreements with the world. And the world tells you, well, you could be whatever you want to be. And you say, yes, okay, I'll do that. And so you go to college and, and you try to build a life that's supposed to be satisfying to you. And you, and you, and you pursue and you pursue and, and you try to build wealth and you try to build happiness. And, and as we know, that doesn't result in any sort of transcendent purpose or divine meaning. It's shallow. It's a, it's, all that's left for us is shallow pursuits. That's all that's left to us without an agreement from God without promises from him. Not only that, we're aliens. We're foreigners in his economy. We are outside the citizenry of God's kingdom. We were strangers to his promises. And so what does that mean? What, what does this mean for us? Well, here's the next key point. Your natural identity puts you outside of the privileges and promises of God. Your natural identity puts you outside looking in at what God had and has had with Israel. We have no privileges. We have no blessings. We have no promises that are extended to us. We have nothing. Now, in most countries, a non-citizen is not afforded the same rights as those who are vested in their country of origin and the institutions that that country's established. Citizenship is a critical concept that has been central to the evolution of human government and the stabilization of Western society. Citizenship is a foundational principle to the United States of America. It keeps order. 
And citizenship is a binding agreement that one makes with their government that allows them and provides them with promises that that government needs to make good on, and it gives them rights associated with that citizenship. There's things and freedoms that they can have that people that are from a different place that come in don't have. A really simple example of that is the fact that I was born in America, so I have the right, I have the right to vote, okay? That's just, one, that's just one thing that I'm afforded as a citizen of America, and most countries have some form of citizenship that allows them to have privileges that they wouldn't otherwise have. Now, there's no difference between that and the, and the contract that God makes with his people. An alien in God's social economy, in his religious economy, his spiritual economy, has no rights, has no freedoms, has no privileges, has no responsibilities in the kingdom of God. In his kingdom, there's nothing for us to offer and there's nothing for us to receive. Now the troubling thing is that in our world today, that's not really a bother to people. I mean, you know, most people have no concern about whether or not they are a part of God's kingdom. Because they're building their own. So if I can't be a part of God's kingdom, or if I don't want to be a part of God's kingdom, I'll simply establish a kingdom of my own. And these people are convinced that they can simply gain the blessings that God's kingdom might provide them. But the truth is these people are are people without a country. They're wanderers. They're transients. And so just like Babel, they they flaunt a false knowledge, a foolish wisdom. They establish empty liberties. They redefine human rights and they dismantle morality so they can say, they can say to themselves that we've built heaven on earth. A kingdom with no king Outside self-desire. And they don't want to believe it. But they're aliens. They're aliens without any privileges or promises. Now in our flesh, we are not at liberty to claim any of the benefits or blessings that God has extended to Israel. We have no right to that. And that's sad. But the sadness does not end there. Okay, so there's more bad news. More bad news. What we discover is that our natural identity leaves us aimless and empty. Ephesians 2.14 says this, having no hope and without God in the world. If all we have is our best laid plans, And this world that we know is flawed, what do we actually have? What do we have? Here's our next key point. Your natural identity is a hopeless one. It's a hopeless one. That's true in the grand narrative of the Gentile nations. And that's true in the narrative of your life. That in your flesh and in your natural identity, in your carnal self, there is no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. And when you die, there will be nothing that binds you to the kingdom of God. But this is where our story changes. Because in Christ... Everything is different, including your identity. Everything changes. Everything. Everything is made new. So let's look at who we are. Who, we, who have we become because of Christ? Who have we become? First of all, we're his holy people. What was once, once fleshly and vile and disregarded 
has been made righteous by his blood. It's been made righteous. Ephesians 2.13 says, But now, but now in Christ, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. So for those who've put their faith in Christ, they've become his accepted people. They are no longer Jews and Gentiles. He's broken down the middle wall of partition. And now there are only those who believe in the way, the truth, and the life. There are only those who've received his son, Jesus Christ. There are only those who've been washed by the blood of Jesus. And in him, two things became one. And we entered into his promises. And we were made clean. John 1.11 says, He came unto his own. Okay, this is Jesus that's being referred to here. Coming to his own, which means the Jewish people. And his own received him not, right? We, we recognize that the, the Jews, that the, that the Hebrew people, that the nation of Israel rejected their Messiah, Jesus Christ, which is why they crucified him, which is why he was crucified in general. His own received him not. But as many as received him, anyone who receives him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It's, it was something that only he could do. Only the blood of Christ could give you access to God. There was nothing that you could do to make yourself clean. You required his grace. You required his holy forgiveness. That's what was necessary. Here's your key point. Your new identity is holy and it makes you near to God. It says that you were sometimes far off, right? In other words, throughout the, the history of mankind, the Gentile peoples of the world were often far from God. They weren't receptive to the teachings of Scripture. They, they weren't listening to the prophets. They weren't receiving the truth. But through Christ, what was once far off is now near. And so, so through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are made holy and you are made near to God. But that's not all that Christ has done. He's done more. We are now his reconciled and promised people. We are now his reconciled and promised people. Verse 15 says, Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make himself of twain one man, so making peace. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity, the division thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. Now we know this is true of Jesus Christ. In his earthly ministry, he made a point to pursue Gentiles. Now he came to the Jewish people, but he went out of his way to minister and to preach peace to people that were on the outside just like you and me. Christ came to make, to make the lost sheep of the world his very own. In John chapter 10, verse 16, it says, And other sheep, other than the Jewish people, I have, which are not of this fold, them also must, must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Christ came to make citizens of the lost nations. We see in Christ's earthly ministry that he ministered to Jew and Gentile alike. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Mark chapter 7, the daughter of the Syrophoenician woman. Matthew 8, the Roman centurion. Christ's heart was to reconcile the nations. And now because of what he's done, there's no distinction between Jew or Gentile. In Christ, all are made one because of his sacrifice for mankind. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. 
See, the beauty of what Christ did is he gave us access. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the carnal man, the one that was on the outside, the one that had no rights or claims to the kingdom of God, is now brought into his kingdom and made a fellow heir. In Christ, in Christ, we become citizens of the kingdom of God. In Christ, the promises that, that, that were never afforded to us are now afforded to us. And he's got promise, promises for us that are all his own, that are distinct for the church, that are, that are just for us. Christ made those who were strangers from the covenants of promise people of his promise. And God has made a new and better covenant, one of permanence and one of grace. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 says this, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. In other words, after, after Christ, the covenant now that he makes with Israel and all of mankind looks this way. I will put my laws into their mind and I'll write them in their hearts and I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord, for all shall know me. So no longer is the good news just for the kindred of the nation of Israel, but now it's for all of mankind. From the least to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant he hath made, the, the first old so the first covenant is now made old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. This new covenant, this new covenant promise tells us that God will write his laws in our heart through the power of his spirit as the dwelling place of God's spirit. He writes the laws, the truths of his word on our very heart. It's not just on tablets of stone anymore but the tablets of our very soul. This promise is no longer restricted to the Jew, but also to all of mankind. It's given, it's given to all. It's opened up to all. This promise extends mercy to the unrighteous and forgives sin and iniquity. And this leaves us with our next point. Your new identity is privileged. And it makes you known by God. We are no longer on the outside looking in. We are no longer aliens or strangers. We are accepted in him. Ephesians 2, 18 says, for through him, we both, we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Do you understand what you have in Christ. Do you understand what you have in Christ? Do you understand what he's given you? That's not all that he's done for us. As we continue on, we, we discover that we're now invited into a family. We're invited into a heritage. We are invited into a mission. We are invited into an ancient story of grace. Verse 20 says, and are built upon the foundation of of the apostles and prophets, we are now built into that foundation. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. And so what we have in Christ, what we have in Christ is so wild it goes so far beyond our comprehension. It's, it's so insane that it unlocks all of the existential doors in our mind and in our heart. See, only, only Christ can make life make sense. Only Christ can answer all of the personal questions that we have about life. Only Christ and what he's done can provide us with purpose. Only Christ can deal with our sin and the regrets of our past. Only Christ provides 
peace. Only Christ provides us with a family and with security. Only Christ can do that. And so what we discover, what we discover is that in Christ, we are not locked into making our finite and temporal lives into some sort of story that that gives us purpose or we don't have to contrive a narrative for ourselves that makes us the hero. Listen to me. Here's our next point. Your new identity makes you part, a part of the big story. The big story. The story of what God is doing in his people. The story that began with Adam and Eve. The story that that transcends time. It goes beyond that. It goes into eternity past. The story of the angels rebelling against God and and in in the heart of God, he, he decides that he wants to make himself a people that choose to worship him. He's going to craft them from from dirt, from from empty matter. He's going to breathe life into them. He's going to make souls of them. And he's going to give them the choice to either choose him or reject him. And for all those that choose him, oh, he's got great and precious promises. He's got so many privileges that we can't comprehend. He's given us so many things, so many things that shape our identity and help us to put the, the childlike storybook aside and lay claim on the grand narrative that goes beyond earth and time that puts us in the center of his will that fills our hearts with dreams and imaginations and purposes that we could never have for ourselves he's crafted an eternal place for us that he calls heaven and one day all that receive him and choose to find their identity in him, will live with him for eternity in his permanent kingdom. Christ makes us a part of the big story. Now here's the deal though. And this is where everything hits the road. Everything has been a setup for this question and this thought. For those of us who've put our faith in Jesus Christ, everything should be absolutely different about who we are. But the truth is, so often, it's not. It's not. Many of us lay claim to Christ, but we live, we live as though we're still lost, as though we're still unacceptable in his sight. How many of you know that you spend most of your life, when you're alone with yourself, condemning yourself? Measuring all the ways in which you don't stack up. Imagining that, that, that you, have to be, you have to be God's least favorite child. That he's dealt you a bad hand. That you've messed up so many times that there's no way that he could look on you with favor. There's so many of us room that are stuck in that cycle of condemnation. And in our mind, we, we decide that what he's made acceptable through Christ is unacceptable. Man, what is the matter with us we are, our eyes are so turned inward into our own story that we can't see what he's done. We can't see what, what, what Christ has done in us in order to make us acceptable in his sight, to take what was vile and what was corrupt and to make it pure and holy in his very eyes so that when God the Father looks down upon us, he doesn't see our sin. He just sees the blood-washed grace of Jesus Christ, his son. What is the matter with us that we keep going back to our old identity and keep trying to write our own narrative? There's so many of us, we we claim Christ, but we live as though we're still strangers without blessing. As though we're still on the outside looking in. As though his blessings are for some other people, not for me. That he has nothing for me. 
that I'll, I'll just be happy to sit in the back row and, and to listen to the preaching and, and be a part. But listen, I know that, I know that, that I'm, I'm, I'm not worthy and, and, and I'm not gifted and I'm not strong enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not handsome enough. And so we treat ourselves as though we're strangers in the family of God, as though God, when he looks at you, he doesn't see his beloved. He sees a stranger that just by accident kind of wandered into the kingdom. You're a, you're a peasant. You're a peasant in his eyes. And, and so you're, you're going to be content with just being his least favorite child. And you'll sit in the back and you'll, you'll remain a stranger when he's asked you to press in. He's asked you to, to lay hold on the blessings and the purposes that he's extended to you. He's given you promises. And so it's our responsibility to believe him for the new identity that he's given us. And we, we lay hold on those promises. We claim them for ourselves. And we say to ourselves, I must, I don't know about anybody else, but I must be Christ's favorite child. Because I remember who I was. And I know I don't deserve this. And he's given me a seat at his table. And I sit, at, I sit at the right hand of his privilege. And he's given me everything I could ever need. Why is it, why is it that I pretend as though there's something else out there that I need? Why do I keep wandering around in the dark looking for more? When I've, had, when I've gotten everything I need in him. Many of us, we claim Christ. We claim to be Christians. But we live our lives as though we're hopeless. And we've forgotten that Christ changed everything about us. I want to remind you that the Bible provides us with principle, with a principle, a very important principle. And that is that according to your faith, be it unto you. And so if you lack the faith to see what Christ has done for you, he will let you choose your own story. He'll let you live in that, in that lesser good. But if you choose faith, if you say, I'm not wrapped up in the identities that the world wants to give me, I'm no longer vile, I'm no longer not accepted, I'm no longer on the outside looking in, I now have promises and I have privilege and I have access to the one who made me. Do you know what kind of life you could live? Do you know what kind of fearless abandon that you could live in? Do you know what you're capable? You're capable of the impossible in Christ. I want to invite the band up, and we'll close this way. Don't put away. I, I, I want to challenge you with something. I want to give you an invitation. There are people in this room who are still on the outside looking in because you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've actually never made a decision to lay hold on what he's given to you. Jesus Christ gave his life for you. Jesus Christ declared, it is finished. For you, it is finished. Your story is finished. Now receive mine. And there's some of you in this room who've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've not called out to him and said, forgive me. Be my Lord. You've never done that. And so I want to invite you up. Do not hesitate. Today is the day of your salvation. The Bible is very clear. Tomorrow is not promised to us. Life is but a vapor. You might feel young and strong, but listen to me. There are no promises on that car ride home. Do not wait on what God has, has appointed for today. Jesus Christ loves you. He knows your name. And you were on his mind when he gave his life.
If you've never received that gift and if you've never taken that new identity, I want to invite you to come forward. There's going to be counselors up front that you, can, that you can speak with and talk to about this very thing, about your salvation and what that means. Now listen, there are others of us in this room who've already put our faith in Christ and we call ourselves Christian and yet, and yet, we live hopelessly. We live lives of disappointment. We're frustrated with ourselves. We feel like we're on the outside. We don't trust in the promises of God. And we live like, like, like Christ n- never did the most glorious thing that's ever happened to the entire universe. We just, we just live like that never happened. And I want to ask you to repent of that way of thinking today. I want, I want to ask you to stop thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about him. And get away from, from the therapeutic nonsense that the world is trying to pour into your brain that puts you at the center of the story. Make him the center of your story and follow after him and do the very impossible. You understand? Don't settle for second best. Are you hearing me? Let's pray and let's make decisions. Let's make decisions for Christ right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for your word and we thank you for our new identity. In our natural man, in our natural estate, um, God, we were far from you. And yet through Christ, we've been drawn near. So Lord, I, I pray for all of those who've yet to accept that good and gracious gift for all those who've not yet laid claim on Christ's perfect love. I mean, you sent a babe in a manger into this world, humble, humble in a way that none of us know how to be. And he lived as the perfect example of righteousness. And then he laid his life down. And so God, I would ask that anybody that's not received that gift that perfect gift, that they would receive it today. And Lord, for those of us who've called ourselves Christians for a long time, those of us who, who profess you but have lost sight of grace, have lost sight of your promises, have lost sight of your goodness, have forgotten that we are fellow heirs and fellow citizens, Lord, I pray that we would have been reminded today and that our life moving forward would be, would be different, not, not because in our flesh we can conjure up all the feelings that we need to feel, but because we simply obey you in light of the truth of who you say we are. We don't need a perfect life. We need the life that you gave us. We need the goodness of your son Christ. We need the indwelling of your spirit. And we need to obey the words of your commands. That's what we need. And so, Lord, empower your people to do that today. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.com.